Welcome to the Looking Back Podcasts, podcasts that take you through historical lessons for GCSE topics. We want to hear from you with all your questions, jokes and stories, and you can get in touch via the website lookingbackpodcasts.co.uk. So get your pens, your paper, your iPads, your laptops, your brains, and most importantly, your snacks ready. And let's start the podcast. Looking back podcast, GCSE History, the Weimar Republic. And today's title is Political Unrest in Germany. And I'm going to start by taking you back to that big historical debate that I introduced last time, which is whether or not this new government, the Weimar Republic, was doomed from the start. We've already seen how the constitution created structural problems, but today our focus is going to be on the political unrest, the threats that the Weimar government had to face between 1918 and 1922. And we want to look at how serious were these threats and... Question... Could the Weimar Republic actually show some sort of authority? Or, as the historians suggest, was this just another way they were doomed to fail? Remember, in the AQA exam, you may be asked to describe these political threats or to explain the effects that these had on the government or ordinary Germans. So before we look into today's topic properly, what we're going to do is recap from the last podcast what you should know and hopefully what you can remember. And we'll start with our quick quiz. Uh, Same as always, it's six questions, all multiple choice, and you can play along at home and see how many you get right. Question one then. I would like to know, please, what movement was Ebert a lead figure of? Was it A, communism? B, social democratic movement, or C, fascism. Well done. If you put B, it was the social democratic movement. Remember, we talked about how this became a popular idea during the Kaiser's reign, in fact, when workers were unhappy with the way they were being treated. Question two, then. I want to know, please, when was the German constitution created? Was it A, November 1918, B, January 1919, or C, August 1919? Now, that was a difficult one. If you did get August 1919, very well done. That is the official date of the Constitution becoming a law. Question three, then, I want to know what age did the Constitution state that voters had to be? Was it A, 16, B, 18 or C, 20? Excellent. If you put C, 20. And remember, voters could be men and women, which made it a very democratically fair process. Right. Halfway through. Question four, then, please. I want to know, what did Article 48 state? Was it A, in a crisis, the president had emergency powers? B, at 
any time the president had emergency powers, or C, in a time of war, the chancellor had emergency powers. And well done if you listened correctly and picked A. And the key things there are the Article 48 is always connected to the president and it is in that emergency. OK, question five then. I want to know what voting system did the Constitution use? Was it A, first past the post, B, proportional representation or C, approval voting? And I'm hoping lots of you got this one right. It was B, proportional representation. I used that word a lot last time. Uh, And that was the system that was in place. Final question then. Hopefully you're getting six out of six. I want to know what was one of the main consequences of this voting system, proportional representation? Was it A, a coalition government would be created? B, that single parties would be voted into power? Or C, they would have to make unanimous decisions? decisions. And very well done if you remembered A, the coalition governments were created because of this proportional seats given to the amount of votes. So hopefully you've got six out of six there um, and we can move on. So If we're thinking about today, our question, the political unrest in Germany and how serious this was, like always, we need to refresh what we should know before we can really understand what happens today. Where we are then? We should know that the Weimar government was set up after the Kaiser abdicated towards the end of the First World War. And they were responsible for signing the armistice, which made them unpopular with the ordinary Germans who had felt stabbed in the back. And they called this new government as a result the November criminals. We also hopefully remember that the range of political parties was vast within Germany at this point and different parties wanted different focuses for Germany. And although the constitution was set up to create stability and authority for this new government, actually proportional representation was causing Eber more problems as this resulted in those coalition governments running the country, with parties trying to work together to try and help rebuild Germany after the problems of the First World War. So... Political parties, if we've got coalitions, if we've got lots of political parties with lots of different ideas, we are going to look today at which ones were causing the Weimar government the biggest problems between 1918 and 1922. And like I said, as you're listening to this, I want you to think about weighing up how serious were these threats and whether or not this new government could demonstrate some sort of authority or create some sort of stability despite those structural problems we looked at last time. Which brings us on to our first question. 
We need to know what were the political ideas in Germany in January 1919. And the reason I start in January 1919 is this is one of the first elections. Now, what you need to know is that the range of parties was actually a vast, wide spectrum. And we've got several right-wing parties gaining seats, as well as a left-wing party having seats. Obviously, the Social Democrats were there with the majority of seats, but actually at this point, the groups and the parties were very varied. And again, we've just talked about how that might cause the Weimar government some problems. And yet, when I'm talking about this political unrest today, I'm not actually going to talk about any of the parties that were part of the Reichstag. I'm going to be talking about two extremist groups, each with very distinct political ideas that started to pose a threat to the Weimar Republic. And this is where you might want to start making your notes, your detailed notes on the different groups and how they were threatening the government at this point. And we're going to start on the left. Okay, so our left wing political group known as the Spartacists. Okay, make sure you're spelling that right. Um, That is one of your keywords that you should be using. And it is a technical term for this group. Now, this group started to form in about 1916 from people who opposed the war, who didn't like the food shortages uh, and what was going on. And by 1919, they'd actually got about 5,000 members and went on to become the Communist Party of Germany. Their goal was to destroy the Republic and set up a communist state like they'd seen happen in Russia in 1917. And the two leaders of this group was a man called Karl Liebeneck and a woman named Rosa Luxemburg. Now, I'll come back to exactly what they do to cause trouble and a problem for the government in a moment. But before we look at their actions, I want to introduce you to the other group that was causing problems for this new government. And these were actually a right wing group. So opposite to the communists and they were nationalists and they were known as the Friar Corps. And this is a general name. So it's a name given to about 200 groups that were made up of ex-soldiers and German officers. And that's what that name is supposed to represent. Now, these Friar Corps considered themselves protectors of Germany, partly because they had fought in the war and were protecting the Germans, but also against communism. Now, a lot of the Friar Corps were very angry at the sudden defeat, and they joined up in an effort to try and put down the communists or exact some sort of revenge. And so you can see where their attitude is going to come from. So if there are two groups... They're our main political unrest at this point. Just remind you, they're not actually part of the Weimar government. They're not standing for elections. They're a political group outside of that organisation. 
And so we're now going to look at the actions. We're going to focus on that story and we're going to ask the question, when did these groups become a problem for Ebert? We're going to start with the Spartacus, that left-wing communist group. And for you to really understand why they're so unhappy, I actually need to take you slightly further back to the creation of this new government. And on the 10th of November in 1918, the day after they officially set up the Weimar Republic, the leader, Ebert, had made an agreement with the army generals at the point to say that they would support this new government and they would supply troops to help maintain the stability and security of Germany. Now, in return, obviously, Ebert had to promise them that the Weimar government would actually oppose the spread of communism and keep the German army strong. If I just pause there a minute, some of you are already hopefully getting those brain cells going and you're thinking, I can see where this is going to go. Because by 1919, the communists were so unhappy um, that they actually started to justify why they were going to cause problems. And in a newspaper, a communist newspaper from March 1919, they said this, our government does little to ensure the fair distribution of food. There is bacon in the windows of butcher shops, but the workers cannot afford to buy it. Every day, 800 people die of starvation and the children who die are not the children of the rich. For how long will such injustices be allowed to go on? The time might not be too distant when a general strike will brush away this government. And if you combine those two things, the suffering of the German people, particularly the workers, and the fact that Ebert, running this new government, has stated that he's going to stop communism, the Spartacists respond. And actually, there are three key events you're going to need to know about. And I'm going to talk through each one. For each one, you might want to make notes about what happened, how many people are killed. And then we'll look at the reaction and whether or not this was a serious threat to the Weimar government or not. So the first uprising comes on the 5th of January. And this is where the Spartacists or the Communist Workers' Council started to seize power in different parts of Germany all over the country. And just like the agreement that they had, Eber, as the leader of the government, turned to the army and the Freikorps to help put down the rebellion. Now, this turns into a bitter street fighting uh, between the Spartacus and the Freikorps because both sides were heavily armed. And the casualties for this first revolt were over 100 communists killed. Now, the Freikorps do win and Liebenick and Luxembourg, the two leaders of this party, were murdered and suggested that this had failed. But this didn't stop the communists there. Just because they'd lost their leaders, actually, the second revolt comes only a month later, in February 1919. And they took the opportunity to declare a Soviet republic in an area called Bavaria. 
And Ebert used exactly the same tactics. He calls on his army on the Freikorps and he says, we've got a deal here. Can you go in and stop this rebellion? And they happily did. And by May 1919, that communist uprising in Bavaria had been put down. This time with around 600 communists being killed. Which leads us on to our last communist revolt because history repeated itself again, this time in 1920. When communists in an area known as the Ruhrland took over several towns and it was nicknamed the Red Rising. Again, Ebert followed the same policy. He got the police and the Freikorps in and bitter fighting took place. This one ended with over 2,000 casualties. Now, if they're your three main uprising, it takes us back. We've got to think about this, okay? Political unrest. Is it really a problem for this new government? Well, you could say Ebert's measures were very ruthless. They were harsh. They were quite horrible towards the communists. There's a lot of deaths there unnecessarily. And yet, a lot of Germans didn't like communism. They were scared of it. A lot of people were scared of it in Europe at this point. And so the way Ebert had handled it by getting the Freikorps in was actually seen as a good move by a lot of ordinary Germans. They saw them as powerful, as using the right technique. And so actually, if we think about how big a threat these revolts were, they're maybe not that great. They maybe never really were a problem. And politically, they're not causing a huge issue. However, it is worth noting that despite these put downs, despite them being defeated each time, actually the Communist Party remains an anti-government in force throughout Germany in the 1920s. And I will come back to talk about the Communist Party at another point in a podcast. So you will see how they get back from this defeat. But if we focus on our question, is this a serious threat? Were they ever really in danger? Or is this one way that Ebert showed authority and stability? So if that's the Spartacus party, if that's the left wing unrest that we're talking about, and I've mentioned already, there's another right wing group known as the Friar Corps that become unhappy. You're possibly thinking, but They're working with Ebert. I've just seen them working with the government. Why would they be a threat to this new government? And this is where I need you to think back to what you've learned about the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. Why would this provoke a reaction from right-wing groups? Particularly if you think about, I said, the Freikorps was the name for about 200 ex-military groups. And then the bigger question is to ask, why might ordinary Germans support these groups in what they were doing? 
Now, hopefully a lot of you, you've got those flags coming up and you're going, I remember, I can see the pattern here. I can see those connections. I know what Miss is talking about. And so when in 1920, the Weimar announced measures to reduce the size of the army and disband the Friar Corps in connection to the Treaty of Versailles. This obviously leads to an uprising. And this particular uprising is led by one of my favourite names in this topic, uh, a Berlin politician known as Wolfgang Kapp. And he decides to lead the Kapp Putsch in response to these terms of the treaty. And in March 1920, Wolfgang Kapp led 5,000 Freikorps into Berlin, the capital city of Germany, in a rebellion known as the Kapp Putsch. Now, Ebert, leader of the government, says, Army, I need you to go in and just like we agreed, I need you to put down that rebellion. Think, they're not going to do that. They're ex-soldiers standing in front of him. And actually, the army refused to fire on the Friar Corps. And so we start to see a serious threat here because it looked as if the Weimar government was not going to get this one finished, was not going to complete this. However, it was saved by, some would argue, luck, um, that the German people stepped in, especially the industrial workers of Berlin. They didn't much like Wolfgang Kapp as a politician, and they didn't like what he was doing in Berlin. And so the German people decided to declare a general strike. And this means that they refused to work. They refused to help keep the power supply going or the water supply going. And suddenly Wolfgang Kapp and his 5,000 Freikorps are in a capital city with very few people in it. Almost no influence. And this general strike brought the capital to a complete halt. And after a few days of holding themselves up in Berlin, Cap realised he could not succeed. And he actually tried to leave the country. Uh, but the Weimar government wasn't going to finish there with him. They ended up hunting him down and he died, take what you will from that, uh, whilst awaiting a trial. Now, luck or was it actually that the Weimar government did have support after all? They did have power. Maybe not to force the army to shoot the Freikorps, but maybe from the ordinary Germans themselves. Even so, it's worth noting that the rest of the rebels, the 5,000 Freikorps, actually did go unpunished by the courts and judges. And we can see this highlighted, the kind of sympathy with the revolt from the right-wing Freikorps in a cartoon drawn at the time in Germany. And it depicts these German ex-soldiers standing in front of judges who were crying because they were sympathetic. People didn't like the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. And actually, the way in which they punished these rebels shows us a level of sympathy with what they were trying to do. Because there was actually 705 rebels up for trial. 
Now, 412 of those were granted amnesty. Um, 285 were discontinued, seven were reviewed, and only one of those was punished. So if we're thinking about our question of today, how serious are these threats? Is this creating problems for the Weimar government? Are they doomed from the very word go? Again, we've got to think about the political nature of what's going on and whether or not they were able to overcome these problems. Now, your exam board says you have to know these two in detail, these two particular groups, but there is another interesting fact here. And it's one that highlights how it's not just confined to extreme groups or extreme violence. Um, because actually, although these are the two key revolts, there were other terror tactics being used by opponents of the government. Between 1919 and 1922, there were actually over 350 political murders in Germany. And this is just to try and show you the scale of that political unrest. People were unhappy. Which brings us on to our last part of our podcast. And this is where I pose to you a, a controversial statement. And I try to get you to see how you could agree and challenge a, a historical argument. Where I pose a controversial statement and try to agree and challenge it with everything we've learned so far. So today's statement is... The revolts showed the serious weaknesses and unpopularity of the Weimar government and suggested it would soon be overthrown. So from everything we've learned today, we could say, do you know what? Yeah, these revolts were serious. They were showing how unpopular people were. And that is because of the sheer amount that I've described today. Not just the amount, though, but the violence that came with it. And also the fact that I've talked about not just left-wing groups revolting against the government, but also extreme right-wing groups. Again, just trying to demonstrate how unpopular they were with everybody. The other thing that would help you agree with this, that the Weimar government was weak and could be overthrown soon, is the idea that in both of those key revolts, I had to tell you how Ebert seeked out help, how he himself didn't necessarily put down those revolts, but other people came to his aid. And again, you could use that to argue that they were a weak government. And yet on the other side, were they serious revolts? Does it show a weakness and unpopularity? And you could say, no, not really. Neither of these revolts were ever fully organised. There were never enough people in it. The communist ones were small scale, small scale, small scale. And actually, the Weimar government did stop all of those revolts, be it by using the army or by using the workers, they stopped a threat on their control of government. And also, remember I said a lot of the Germans actually saw the putting down of the communists as a really positive thing and not a weakness at all to get the army involved. And so wherever you sit on this, 
whether you think they were weak and unpopular or whether actually the way they handled this showed some sort of authority, you can maybe start to see why historians go back to that big question of whether or not they were doomed from the start. Are there too many problems? Are there too big an issue so early on for a government that they would never be able to come back from this? Now, next lesson, we'll continue to look at some of these early problems and we'll continue to delve into whether or not this historical debate is true or not. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Remember, you can get exam questions if you want to test your knowledge on the website www.lookingbackpodcast.co.uk and please feel free to get into touch if you have any messages, any questions, any stories or anything at all you'd like help with. It's been great talking to you. Goodbye for now. This podcast was written by Miss Wood and was a James Delling Creative Production.